I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. This week in the UK, we've seen temperatures pushing 40 degrees Celsius. The likes of France, Spain, Portugal and Greece have seen significant wildfire outbreaks and entire towns evacuated, with hundreds of deaths linked to extreme heat. Back in February, the UK storms downed a 250-year-old 40-foot yew tree across my front garden. Five months later, and I'm recording this with the curtains closed to try and keep the internal temperature down. This is the climate crisis in very real effect. In 2019, it was confirmed that average global temperatures have risen 1.1 degrees above pre-industrial levels. And after decades of inaction since the scientific community first warmed about climate change, we now have just eight years to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 45% to keep global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees. COP26 took place in Glasgow last year to address the issue. But to be quite frank, from a public information perspective, it was little more than a political pageant. There was no real communications action plan to come from it. And as a result, many, if not most people, don't even know what the outcomes were or how they affect the businesses they work for. Making an incredibly tough task even tougher is climate misinformation. Whether it's the sharing of incorrect or false information, or intentionally deceptive narratives and disinformation by those with fossil fuel interests, the doubt such sharing seeds fosters division and delays action. And at the centre of this is the communications industry, and the role it has should not be underestimated. On today's show, I'm joined by Laura Sutherland from the PRCA's Climate Misinformation Strategy Group. Laura has a background in integrated PR across organisations and a few years ago started to focus more on stakeholder relations. She says the strategy work she does in this area really creates an understanding of stakeholders as individuals and what they care about. I would say that arguably um, not every public relations uh, executive, consultant or whatever does that and it's really piqued my interest when the subject of responsible business, brands doing good for the world and for people, and also the negative stuff like misinformation and disinformation and how that affects them. At the start of the summer, Laura relaunched her consultancy business Aura as a senior communications and business advisory, as she often found herself addressing business challenges as much as public relations ones. 18 months ago, Laura was chair of the PRCA in Scotland. As part of that role, she addressed COP26, which was due to take place in Glasgow. And this led to conversations with PRCA HQ about the industry's role in climate change. This led to the formation of the Climate Misinformation Strategy Group, devised to specifically tackle misinformation around the environment. One of the first things the group did was to carry out industry and consumer research to find out attitudes towards misinformation and how PR professionals were working on climate change with their own stakeholders. This month, the group published its second research report, charting changes over the last year. Now, reading the reports, three things really stood out for me. 
First is the sheer volume of greenwashing that still exists. Second is the fact that PR is front and centre when tackling this. And third is the terrible levels of measurement around whether actions on climate change from organisations are actually having any impact. I I was amazed to read this. So the the stats that came out of this year's report said that 45% of PRs have noticed attempts to greenwash, whether it's through their clients or their own organisations. I mean, that's that's an astounding amount, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is an astounding amount because it shows now that people are possibly more aware of it, where consumers, um, and we are consumers at the end of the day, weren't necessarily looking out for anything and were maybe taking things at gospel. Or if it sounded credible, they might have been persuaded, let's say, because at the end of the day, these sorts of greenwashing attempts are all salesy. But I think that the consumer is much more savvy now. You know, like youth activists are very focused on that type of thing as well. And I think as well, media are much more savvy to what even things like politicians um, and brands are saying so that they can go and investigate further so that if there's a story there, they can unearth it. So I think on the on the whole, people are much more aware of it. Therefore, that's possibly where that figure is coming from. Yeah, I suppose that's a fair point, because if I go, if I think about another area, which was um, something that I was heavily involved in not so long ago, which is around mental health, and all the stats were starting to go up quite drastically about mental health problems. This is probably before the pandemic. But there was always that that nagging doubt that actually it's not that more people are having mental health problems. It's just that you're talking about it more. So it seems like people are are having more problems. Do you think that is the case or could be part of the case with this, with, with the climate stuff? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the work we've done over the last year and a bit as a, as a group, you know, to educate people through our events, through talking podcasts, through the blogs, lots of different stuff we've been doing that hopefully is part of that impact is that there's that awareness now. So I think what was very positive about it was that 89% of that 45% have actually pushed back on the greenwashing. Yeah. And within that, 57% um, actually have managed to change the approach as a result. Yeah. So we're getting more confident at challenging and offering a different approach to what was originally um, potentially sold as greenwashing. So actually, the more confident we become, and again, it comes back to education, if we're educated about something and we know what we're talking about and we're firmly rooted within the organisation, we can then say, this is unethical, um, this is not the right approach, and this is actually what we could be doing instead, or we can't do that now, we need to wait until such and such, or um, whatever the situation is. And I think that is, you know, it's good. We're, we're showing that we've grown some balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I take your point as well. Although I say, well, you know, 45% of noticed attempts at greenwashing, you can swing that around and say, well, actually, they've been noticed, whereas before they might not have been noticed. So you, you can put that in a positive light as well. I think one yeah. of the other things that stood out for me as well from it was that virtually every PR in this report now advises their clients or their colleagues on the environmental issues, on, on the climate, which, again, that that's a really important thing. Yeah, but I think we need to put that in perspective. So 
I would not expect a junior account executive in an agency to be advising a client on no. climate and sustainability. So I think we need to look at the seniority of people and their level of involvement within an organisation or a client. I think kind of coming back to that greenwashing angle that some may say that, you know, in the past, you know, agencies um, have been known to just say yes to a client to take the fee. But what, you know, the, the sort of what leadership says goes thing is a load of pony. Mm. I don't really think that, you know, a new dawn is upon us right now. And we need to step up to that challenge and use it as an opportunity to show how things can be done better and how we can actually make a difference to everyday lives through responsible business. Um, and if you're one of my clients, then you'll be working through the Synergy Framework, which is my new thing. And, you know, that's then in alignment with the likes of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. How many, you know, PR communication professionals talk to their clients about sustainable development goals? And how, how many of them talk to them about aligning with that and reporting against that? You know, these are actual things that have been created that are there as, as tools for us to use, but we need to be using them and we need to be using them better and more frequently. You know, it's just like, saying, you know, you know, are you concentrating on climate? Are you concentrating on sustainability? And, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, but is it on your board agenda? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, if it's not on the agenda, how are you going to talk about it? How are you yeah. going to move it forward? How are you going to bring it to attention of everybody in your organisation? And then, I mean, there's a business imperative to this as well, isn't there? From a, not, I mean, even, even if you look at it from a financial point of view, for example, which... I know that's not the point, but there was some interesting research that came through the from the consumer side of the report, which was around the number of of consumers would actually stop buying a product if if they thought sort of the greenwashing and misinformation was taking place. Yeah, and that's because the people people really believe now in the way that businesses conduct themselves, mm. and they're they're choosing to buy from brands for that very reason so it's now a very conscious decision but it's also a conscious decision to stop buying from a brand if they're lied to or misled yeah i think that's very much in in the the public consciousness now Pe- people do take notice of things whereas maybe five years ago they didn't so much but i i, I totally agree with you do you think that agencies and pr people working in-house have a greater responsibility for for climate. I, I suppose what I'm saying is, do you think in the past PR has actually been part of the problem around the misinformation, and now it's trying to become part of the solution? Um, it's it's only part of the problem if it's not trying to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it comes back to education. One of the biggest things in our group that we set out to do was to educate the industry around the climate crisis and why it's so important to understand where you can get your, your facts from, all the tools and resources that already exist out there. But one thing that I've kind of realised through my journey in the last 10 years in working in sustainability and climate has been that the problem we have is that there's so much there's so many initiatives and jargon out there, like the race to zero, net zero, yeah. like the 2030 yeah. agenda, add net zero. Like there's so much stuff out there that where do people start? This, that we're not making it easy for people. And I think as communicators, that is our opportunity to make things easy for people, 
We need to be consistent. We need to break messages down to be relevant to those that we're talking to. And we need to say what we mean rather than cover up with jargon or, or use terms that, that people just won't understand. Mm. And that's one of the reasons, again, that, that I reframe my business because I want businesses to understand that there's an opportunity, businesses and organisations to understand there's an opportunity to do better, but to help them like be a guide to do that because they don't know where to start because there's just so much out there. It's like, you know, like we always talk about all the, the noise in social media. Mm. If we're not firmly adding to that noise in a good and positive way, it's going to have cut through, then we shouldn't be doing it at all. All, you know, it's typical marketing land, like throwing, you know, terminologies together or different initiatives that, but it's just, it's confusing people. Yeah. What we need to do is to try and get that education piece done first and foremost so that people understand and then show them the sort of the route map as, as to how they can go forward. As communicators, we've got a real responsibility to make sure that we're doing things ethically, that we are 100% happy with data and with facts, that whatever is going out there through whatever form of communication, whether it's action or words, is actually correct. And we have to do that by being firmly rooted within the organization. And that's where the collaborative approach really, really works. Because if you're firmly rooted within, say, your working house with your colleagues across every department, you're going to know what they're working on. You're going to know their data. You're going to know all that sort of stuff. So you can be 100% confident that what they're saying to you to put in your communication is right. So it's not just that responsibility of putting the, the writing together for the message. It's the whole piece of fact check. It's, you know, like crisis communication. You'd never yeah. put a statement together about something unless you've got the facts, would you? Yeah, no, absolutely. If you, if you look at this from uh, maybe an agency perspective for a minute, do you think there is a case for agencies having to really step up and lead by example on this stuff because you're right from a from a communications perspective that's one thing that's about getting getting messages right and keeping things simple and and you know educating people but if i'm thinking from an agency perspective should i not therefore be practicing what i preach and measuring my own i don't know scope 1 2 3 emissions for example and and being very open about the way i'm doing things yes that's the the, the simplest answer is yes and there are a number of ways you can do that we have to be realistic about time we have to be realistic about priorities and also about finance because if you look at b corp it costs money and it takes time because you're not going to necessarily get it right first time round there are opportunities to get involved in various different things for example I am accredited by the Good Business Charter. And that was me making an effort to say, this is what I'm doing to make sure people know that I am um, acting ethically, that I'm doing responsible business, that I would, you know, if I employed someone, I'd pay them the living wage or more, da-da-da-da-da. And by committing to these things and, and wearing these badges, these people do hold you to account because they then check on you and expect you to report back to them. Yeah. But equally, they have amazing networks of people who are in the same boat as you. Small businesses, one-man bands who want that sort of camaraderie on the journey. And it is a journey. 
because none of us are going to get it right overnight. There is no silver bullet. And even for the clients that I'm working with, some of them I'm doing like five to 10 year plans for future because we have to do things in stages. So it's horses for courses, but at the same time, if you don't start, how on earth are you going to start taking steps forward? Yeah. I joined the um, STG Network Scotland which is for sustainable um, sustainable development. It's a Scottish network. There are people from lots of different organisations on there and we all share information. And one of the biggest things that I learned about maybe eight years ago when I was the, I handled the communication for Scotland's 2020 Climate Group and Ian Marchant was the chief exec um, of SSE and he was leading our group the chair of the group, and he talked about the importance of collaboration of all sectors of society. And that is something that I really, really see. And if we can't collaborate with our own industry, and if we can't collaborate with other businesses to even start on, how are we supposed to collaborate, share best practice and learn from each other um, You know, for wider society? Because at the end of the day, we're impacting everyday lives, and that's what we should be aiming to do. Yeah, very much so. You you mentioned there about there's there's no silver bullet sort of thing, mm-hmm. but that we kind of should be acting rather than just talking about stuff. I mean, one notable example of that you you talked about John Brown earlier, who recently took a train to a <laughs> conference in Rome, which seemed to take him I don't know two or three days to get there, yeah. two or three days to get back. It's an extreme example, but. It certainly is setting an example. So should we be looking at doing things, maybe not getting trains to Rome, or maybe we should, I don't know. But, I mean, do you think everyone should be taking, like I said, sort of personal responsibility almost for how we're leading by example with this stuff? Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. It's it, it's it's essentially greenwashing personally if you don't. so if if you you know if you're not measuring your carbon footprint if you're not um benchmarking if you're not um looking at how to improve what you do you know to go about your business or to go about your personal life whether it's you know taking advantage of your business's electric vehicle scheme or whether it's the bike to work scheme whether it's living wage whether it's um taking trains or whether it's, you know, that that's reducing. And and I would very much kind of frame the the challenge we have around offsetting. People automatically jump to offset, whereas people should be thinking about reducing in the first place. So reduce, reuse, recycle is always what we talk about so that there, there's some longevity. If we can reduce, then brilliant. If there are alternatives, then fantastic. Let's look into them. If you can't, um, then is there some way of reusing, recycling? Um, And if you can't, then yes, look into offsetting. But organisations very quickly will just jump into, let's just plant some trees. Yeah, yeah. And planting trees, yes, it's good for the environment. And, you know, you look at... um, you look at some examples of brands who are planting orchards or planting forests 
whatever they're doing. But have they started to actually reduce in the first place? Have they started to understand their use of plastic, their use of carbon in other areas? Have they have, are they the ones that are you know digging into peatland, for example, which is the very challenge we have because peatland actually absorbs CO two, and we need to preserve peatland and we need to actually put it back. So, you know, yes, we can look at taking trains as alternatives, which is great. Offsetting is kind of like almost like your last resort, I would say. But there are things, there are schemes like, um, so the PRCA, when we talk to them about um, being at Cannes and all that type of stuff, they had already been speaking to an organisation called Goodwings for their travel. Okay. which then looks into ethical offsetting. So investing into um, other sort of schemes where actually it's ethically done. So that's great. There are things out there, but again, you need to educate yourself in these things and you need to think about these things and you need to plan these things. You can't just retrospectively go, oh goodness, you know, we've done we've done a whoopsie here. Let's go and do this instead. <laughs> yeah. So for example, I measured my carbon footprint, um, which kind of is personal because, you know, there's only me in the business. Yep. <laughs> um, and I work from home and have done for a number of years. So looking at all that, I then discovered that I had X tons of CO2 and I needed to do something about it. And I was like, well, I can reduce in very, very small amounts. Um, obviously, the last couple of years, I've hardly done any traveling. Yeah. So, you know, the stuff that I do have, then I ha- I did have to offset, but I chose to offset that um, through a scheme where actually it's about climate justice, which is a slightly different subject altogether. But if we think about those most affected by climate change, it's those who are actually in poverty and in need and can't manage their their own their own situations to improve that so think about droughts uh, famines heat etc they're all in third world countries so i decided that my offsetting was actually going to be put towards um climate justice on this occasion and it was going to be put towards communities who needed money to um to do to, you know to build themselves a better sort of ecosystem to be able to manage that so there are different schemes out there. Again, it comes back to education. I think agencies and individuals and um, organisations need to look at individuals and themselves as a whole. It's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. And as you say, it's not a silver bullet either. I just want to interject quickly because I have some very exciting news. After a three-year hiatus due to the pandemic, Digital Download Live is back, in person and in September. If you've been before, you'll know that it's a fantastic day packed full of audience-led Q&As, interviews, workshops and presentations, all focused on the very latest stuff that you need to know if you work in digital communications, PR or social media marketing. Now, so much has changed in marketing communications over the last couple of years. Technologies like NFTs and the metaverse have come to the fore. TikTok now gets more internet traffic than Google, while Facebook and Instagram are both on the slide. And iOS 14 and the deprecation of third-party cookies are killing digital advertising and analytics as we know them. It's a challenging time for marketers and staying on top of all of the changes is a bit of a minefield. But that's what Digital Download Live is for. For more information and booking details, head to ddl22.com. That's ddl22.com. I hope to see you there.
anyone can and really should start thinking about and acting on ways to help the planet. Even as an independent consultant, I can look at the fuel I use in the course of my business or whether the power I use is from renewable sources. I recently used websitecarbon.com to measure the carbon footprint of my website, for example. Now, much of the problem, however, lies in the fact that people don't know where to start. There's no simple checklist for organisations of different sizes to help. This does not make it an easy task. But Laura says there are lots of ways to get started, citing the Good Business Charter monthly meet as an example. I went to my first one a few weeks back and it was on digital sustainability. And we looked at website carbon footprint, but then we looked at, you know, things like servers. We looked at, you know, are you guilty of deleting things and it stays in your deleted items? Are you guilty of saving every single email that comes in? And are you guilty of not deleting any rubbish from your sent items? Because if you are, that all sits on your server and your server adds up. And Digital sustainability is actually one of the areas where we need to really be focusing because it adds up and we're completely unaware of it. Yeah, absolutely. So those sorts of things are, I mean, they're things that every person and every organization, every business, every brand could and should be doing as a matter of course. Uh, These are very, very basic things that people can do. And that's what I mean by those priorities. You know, start small. If you're a one-person business and you can't do everything at once, start small. Look at your um, energy, look at your your digital sustainability, and look at your travelling. And then once you've finally got that sorted and you're in your groove and you're measuring, etc., then start to look at other areas of improvement. No one's expecting people to be amazing overnight, but it's about taking action in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. One one of the other things that stood out on this report, which I found quite shocking, was that 59% of organisations don't measure their carbon footprints mm. and only 24% set science-based targets. And it, I mean, it just struck me that, I mean, how... How can you even go about improving things when you don't measure things in the first place? I liken it to our own work. (laughs) So if we don't start benchmarking where we started or setting any goals, how on earth are we supposed to measure like how we've improved or or where we're at in the future? And, And I suppose it's sort of central to what we do twofold. First is that we should be advising on this responsible way to behave, you know, actions and words with our stakeholders. And by this, I mean this sort of taking action in our businesses and organisations. So looking at cutting carbon footprint and operating in a sustainable manner. But also when we actually do the communicating part of sustainability, we need to ensure that it's done factually. Coming back to that ethical stuff again, it needs to be factual and it needs to be in the right way so that we don't greenwash and that we're not misleading and we're very clear about what we're saying so there's no ambiguity. Those sorts of organisations who don't measure, which are, (laughs) I dread to think the actual number of, um, I'm sure it's out there, but I dread to think the actual number. But for those organisations who don't do any of that type of thing, then they're going to come under fire by their stakeholders in the not too distant future demanding. Yeah, they'll be knocking on the door saying, "We we need to know this because that's where we buy from nowadays. I'm a great believer that, and I apply this to myself in this case, especially with the climate and environment in mind, that if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. Mm. What would you say is the next step for someone listening to this and is now going, I need to do something about this. 
How do they get involved in doing this? So there are a number of ways. Let me kind of go over what I know of our industry so far, if the, if they're trying to improve. Um, so first of all, the PRCA, um, as a result of the work we've done with the group, has a training programme with the Royal Meteorological Society. It's a half-day training course, and it's about data and the climate crisis. It's about finding information, and it's a really amazing course. So I would highly recommend you book on that. We've already run two cohorts in that so far. The second bit is around the your own professional development in this area and your duty to go and learn and educate yourselves. So, um, you know, take courses, listen to podcasts, read blogs, but also mix with the right people so that you're starting to understand the language, starting to understand the problem and starting to. I suppose get under the skin of it mm. to really to really understand what that opportunity looks like as well. Connect with people like me so we can have better conversations or so you can just be a bystander to start with and and see what's happening. The CIPR also has a course which is not uh, not long launched on I think it's called sustainability communications by Jihan. She's delivering on that course for the CIPR so I've got you know it's, it's going to be a great course. But I think the main thing is is to start so that the education part is 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 the you know the first step. The second part is to plan. So what is your plan of action? What is it you're planning to do? What means something to you in your role in society, at home, in your business, or whatever? What is it you plan to do with that? For me, that was to reframe my business and to actually make a point of saying my business now has this focus. Because I want to do good work with my public relations and communication and business services so that I can actually start making a difference to other people's lives through my work. Once you have really got your head around that, then I think it's it's up to you to start pushing that forward. We can all be bystanders. We can all be shouting from the sidelines. We can all be deniers. We can all be, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to be as um, positive about the situation as me because I just naturally come from a positive, a positive place. But we are we have that opportunity as the the probably one of the only functions within an organisation apart from say a chair, or chief exec, or MD who has that 360 degree view of the organization. We have contact with leadership. We have contact with managers. We've got contact at grassroots as well. We're the ones that need to be bringing those people together and working with them in all parts of the business or the organization. And the more educated that we are, the more useful that we can become and demonstrate the value of our strategic work and not just writing words. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's us humans that make decisions and plans. It's not machines. Yeah. So simply by working in, you know, inverted commas, public relations, it means that we've got a duty to ensure that anything being sold to customers um, or communicated in such a way, um, it needs to be ethical, responsible, sustainable and in stakeholders' interests. But we also need to be aware of the wrongdoing as well and be prepared for that. You know, if there is a mistake, then there will be public backlash. There'll be media backlash. You know, reporters would have a field day with brand greenwashing, certainly. Mm, yeah. uh, we've already seen it with a number of brands. But we need to be ready to call out that unethical activity, report it, call it out and, you know, be prepared to move on. For more information on how you can get involved, find Laura on Twitter. (music) 
You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.